there, Ruby fans! Welcome to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Today we are talking about Volume 7, Episode 4, Pomp and Circumstance. Let's just go ahead and hop on in and get to it. My name is Megan Salinas, and with me, as always, is a fantastic group. Uh, yeah, is a fantastic group of hosts. Uh, with me, Katie Cullen. I'm also here. Hi! <laughs> Calling in from Los Angeles, Stacy Shuttleworth. Hello, hello. And calling in from all the way across the country is Mark B. Donica. I'm in another country. Another country? Ameri- oh. America. <laughs> so so that particular part of the country is another country then? Oh, I guess that hasn't hit the news yet. Let's just keep going. <laughs> oh, shoot. Did you Bugs Bunny that? You're spoiling everything, Mark. <laughs> I mean, I, I should probably try to keep the red versus blue references to a minimum, but poor Florida. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Uh, what happened to Florida? <laughs> it became another country, apparently. Mm. Aw, this is my favorite part of the week, you guys. <laughs> red versus blue references? Yeah, that's mine, too. No, getting, <laughs> getting together with you nerds to talk about Ruby. It's so yeah. fun. Uh, so speaking of, guys, we had a really fun episode today. It's a kind of a transitional episode from like one big heavy action set piece to another. And this is kind of where the action slows a little bit and we get some character building stuff. Uh, what did we think of this episode? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. This was a very fun episode. And I enjoyed, we got some background information going, uh, uh, we learned more about the Aesops, again, <laughs> which is always <laughs> great in my book. Uh, and uh, look at Team Ruby and Team Ranger here, all growing up. <laughs> Aww. I, this was such like a stepping stone episode for them. It's, but it's like bittersweet. It was just so fun. Uh, Mark, what did you think? I thought this was a, a welcome diversion. Uh, not a change, but like the, the pacing on the entire season seems to be a lot less cookie cutter at it. I'm, I'm, I'm not using my words correctly, but I, I just like that the tone that we've been taking where event, it seems like it's going to be building and building and building. It seems like there's a lot more suspense going on in the background when it comes to, well, maybe it's just me and my paranoid ass, but other than <laughs> that, I think, I think that there's a lot we're learning. There's still a lot for us to learn about the area the uh, the structure of society you know, when it comes to the council, the military, even just the separation between mantle uh, and uh, excuse me. Uh, but there's a there's a lot going on, and I think that the pace that they've chosen is one that, at least for me, is really working and making sure that stuff is hitting and landing and not just like, boom, information, boom, information, boom, information. And I have I really enjoyed it in this one. I have to concur. I really appreciate the, the balance they've struck with the tone this season because, I yeah, I feel all that suspense um, that you were talking about building as each episode goes by, but, like, we still have time for these kids to be themselves and for us to get some much needed levity, even though the stakes haven't diminished in the slightest. Katie? I think this was a very good interim episode. I think it was a good transitory episode. And I like all of the character bits that we got for it. We didn't get a lot of like 
heavy plot pieces, but we got a lot of character moments. And let's be real, that's what this show runs on, is character moments and character interactions. We got some background on our new characters. We saw some old characters we didn't really want to see again, but here they are anyway. And not going to lie, when we sat down to watch it and I saw the title, the first thing I said was, who's graduating? And I was joking, and I was not expecting that to be a prediction. So, uh... There we are. <laughs> um, uh, Stacy, you brought up that we we learn uh, a lot more about the Aesops in this episode, so that's kind of where I want to start uh, and jump in. Like the Aesops, I'm gonna be honest the the development that we got for them and looking at how well, like how much of a like a well oiled machine they are as a team. I was a little bit surprised at what we find out about them in this episode. Uh, what stood out to you the most about the Aesops in this episode? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. I am legitimately worried about this team now because we had this development of, oh no, we're not friends, we're co-workers. They very specifically took their relationships and put them on one side of that line. And the thing is, it, it takes a lot to be able to be in these combat situations with these people and not develop camaraderie. You can develop teamwork, but if you're not friends, if you're not going to go out to a bar and hang out with the boys, or if you're not going to even just talk about things, like, it's not impossible to have friends at work. It's not impossible to make friends at work, and it's not impossible to keep the friends you've made, even if you're going to a different job. I have somehow managed to do all three throughout my work history, so you know it's doable if I can pull it off. Um, I worry that this whole, oh, we're not friends, leaves a lot of room for there to be a snake in the grass among the Aesops. It leaves room for there to be a traitor because, oh, they're my co-workers, not my friends. It also leaves room for disgruntled ex-employees, ex-Aesops. And it puts all of the teasing that they put Marrow through in a very different light. Because we tease Jean, we tease our other friends, you know, but... At the end of the day, you know that they're friends and they'll go through hell for each other. It makes the teasing for Marrow seem a little more mean-spirited. I just, I worry. I have concerns. Stacy, what do you think? I mean, absolutely. I think that revelation, that kind of finding that that was their mindset, completely shifted the dynamic that we've been seeing. Because we've been seeing behavior that is very similar to how the kids act towards each other. That teasing, that easy working together, the, you know, calling out when you need each other have been things that we're used to seeing from Team Ruby, from Jean and Ren and Nora. And to now find out that, oh, well, yeah, but that's just, that's just what we do when we're at work. Uh, your coworkers, your teammates don't necessarily have to be your emotional support. But when you treat one of your teammates the way that they do towards Marrow, and that's a group effort. I mean, it's not just like a little ribbing on one's behalf. That is a group effort that he is the one that is constantly undermined. And if there's not a real friendship under that, that takes on a very different dynamic. And it's a lot less fun. He's also the only Faunus in the group, isn't he? No, hair. Are we sure hair's a faunus? We talked about this, and and she may or may not be, but just because 
the the reference to the animal like i i claim that she was a faunus earlier and people in our discord were rightfully calling out we don't necessarily know that which is fair that is a fair observation see and mine would have been vine might possibly be one but that could just be an aesthetic choice and not necessarily anything else but so far Marrow is the only one that we know for sure is a faunus, and if he is the only faunus on the team, and he's getting teased like that, and they're not friends, and we're in Atlas. That's very different. It makes me look at that scene where he's talking to Team Ruby, and he's talking about how he's not happy about, you know, there being new people around, but then his tail is wagging and he gets really embarrassed. Maybe the reason he was excited for there being new people around isn't just because he's a good, good boy who gets excited at new people like like puppies do, but maybe the reason for it was like, oh, this is a chance to make a good first impression with a completely different group of people who maybe won't make fun of me all the time. I don't know. Mark, uh, what do you think about what we learn about the Aesops in this episode? Yes, I agree with everything that everybody said at the same time. I, I think we've all have that experience of people that we work well together with. And like there's there's they don't listen to this podcast, so I don't, I'm not afraid of talking about them. There's, there's somebody <laughs> at, my, at my current job that I work really well with but i don't necessarily see myself going like hey do you want to get a beer do you want to whatever so like i i understand that but at the same time i i with the level of intricacy of these missions that they tend to go on and even actually to be fair but before i finish that like there is no way of knowing if they've gone through similar missions that our protagonists have gone through so there's no way of knowing if they've had these highly like do did we visit Elm's hometown where her parents were killed in front of her and confront the Grim that did it? Who knows? Probably not. Who knows about <laughs> her home life? But like it's it's a thing where the we're making the assumption through the lens of our main characters, and we don't know if this is how it's been presented in Atlas the whole time, you know. Um, but at the same time, I I can't imagine how good of a, from at least from my personal experience, if if you gel really well with people uh, at your job, it's really hard to not make friends with them. I, I think like I know that that might be sort of counterintuitive to what I said earlier, but at, at the same like, I don't know, I'm thinking of an elm and a vine and I'm like they they're so inherently like and not in a shipping way made for each other like they're just so compatible as people it seems so far and the story is inter- and they're intertwined. Yeah, and they're well they complement each other well. So but then looking at uh, a hare and a marrow and you're like okay i can see where like harriet kind of picks up the slack if marrow had leaves any behind like it's it's an interesting relationship that these two have and so or that these five have so uh, i don't know man like i see it but it makes sense to me i but i also wonder why like we just don't have the why it's fine if the, if that's what it's like but i just want to know why 
Same. Um, it makes me wonder if maybe they have to claim to only be co-workers because they're at work at the moment. And that sort of familiarity is kind of looked down upon. Because, I mean, this is Atlas. Which is fucked up. And, and at the same time, I've... I've worked with one of my best friends before. Like I got a job and then I got him a job and it changed our friendship. So I can imagine, I, I and, and this is me speaking from experience, if you have a particularly dangerous or concerning work life, then you don't want that those figures around when you're off, off duty, you know? Because then you just, it, it feels like you're always at work. You know what I mean? But that depends on how you treat the job. And I think it also depends on what you do as well. Um, like, yeah. I, I imagine that hanging out with your coworkers at a normal office job, uh, you know, at happy hour is a little bit different than hanging out with your coworkers at happy hour if you're like a cop or a firefighter where, or, or even a doctor where like actual lives are on the line. Mm-hmm. Um so that that's kind of what it would be comparable in my mind. Um, what I'm concerned about is whether or not because they're coworkers and not friends, what if, you know, fast forward a couple episodes, you know, hop into Conspiracy Corner for, with me for a second. Mark, Welcome. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> we live there. Yes. There's room. There's plenty of room. We have chairs, cocoa, and ginger molasses cookies please come have a seat Ooh. oh shoot chair well i'm there perfect i'm gonna go ahead and just park it in this beanbag chair uh that's that's the type of chair i like to sit on when i'm talking about conspiracies i get the lazy boy um uh, but uh fast forward a couple episodes ironwood finds out you know exactly like he, he suspects ruby and company are lying to him he finds out exactly what they're keeping from him uh, he orders the Aesops to apprehend them, and then they have to be like, sorry, kids, just part of the job. And then that that turns into uh, a bit of a confrontation within the Aesops themselves, because someone like Elm is like, no, I like these kids. I can't turn against Thunder Thighs. Hashtag Thunder Thighs. She, she yeah, and I yeah. have become friends. <laughs> Speaking of... Uh, Nora MVP moment <laughs> for uh, this episode. Yes. Uh, Ren MVP moment. Just picking her up and carrying her off, though. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, when she pulled out Thunder Thighs and we got that Ruby Jimmy call out, because um, normally it's the other way around. It's you know Ruby proper getting referenced in Ruby Chibi. I, I don't think I've seen very many Ruby Chibi references actually make it into Ruby proper. Well, do you know why, Megan? Uh, why is that? Because this is the first episode directed by Ruby Chibi directors. (laughs) Awesome! Let me get their names. I just had them. While you're doing that, I wanted to point out that I love what they've been doing for gags for animation in this episode. And I'm not sure if this is something they've been doing new this season, or if I've only just started noticing it. But the... Like, we had it earlier with Yang talking about Blake's hair and getting awkward and doing kind of like the choppy animation. Where he had it in this scene where Nora gets really excited and Ren just picks her up and carries her off like she's a signpost. It's, it's these animation gags that really elevate the comedy, and I love that they're doing them. Mm. Makes me happy. And so our directors of this episode were Paula Decanini and Dustin Matthews. Yes. Round of applause. 
These guys were great. Mm-hmm. Good, oh. good job. <laughs> it makes my heart sing. Um, what I, I think the worst part, honestly, about this whole Aesop's not friends thing is honestly how crestfallen Ruby and Jean are. They were both basically fanboy and fangirling over the Aesop's as they walked in. And by the end of the scene, it, you know, you kind of feel like, oh, your heroes let you down. Never meet your heroes, even if you only just met them 10 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very, very short amount of time to meet, get excited by, and then be disappointed by (laughs) a set of um, mentors, I guess. It's almost (laughs) like being a new student in Crow's class. He used to teach. I think we all keep forgetting that. Oh, it, they did have a fun shout out of like, I need the team leaders over here and Crow. And Crow. <laughs> We're having a meeting with the adults and Crow. Crow, you kind of count as an adult now. Let's go. He's just, he's the asterisk. The adults <laughs> asterisk and Crow. He's like adult adjacent. He's, he's the Terry Pratchett footnote here. <laughs> For sure. Um, do we have any other thoughts on the Aesops or what this revelation means before we, we get to this little team leader meeting? I'm, I'm putting my nice little Aesops betrayal pushpin on the conspiracy board and wrapping a nice piece of yarn around it and we'll see where it leads. But I do think we are going to get betrayal from within those ranks because we're not friends is going to make it that much easier. Oh crap! I just oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap! What's oh, wrong? Crap. Oh crap! Tell us. Mark? I just I just thought of something terrible. Yes. Tell us. <laughs> tell us. Tell us. Do it. Do it. Do it. Okay. Who was it that said we're, we were talking about the intro and the shot of James with his pistol and then looking crestfallen because he had to because it looked like he shot somebody he didn't want to. That in my mind, that's always the the thing that I pay the most attention to during the opening. <laughs> mine's mine's something else that that I can't talk about until next time. But um, so, huh, I know this is terrible. So, <laughs> so we have a we have a reverse betrayal where Marrow, seeing what it's like to work with friends, sticks up for Ruby and the gang. And because <gasps> no, because he's the old not, yellers him. He's not. They he gets he gets yeller. I don't want to hear this story anymore. Never mind, Mark. Take it all back. You all no. Very no. Hold on. Let me let me just say this. You all willfully came into the conspiracy corner. You're eating the cookies. You're having the cocoa. This is what this is what goes down. I came here to have a good time, and I'm feeling so attacked right now. I am not ashamed of the old yeller joke. I thought it was apropos. Well, we're open 24 hours a day if anybody wants to come on in. <laughs> the cookies are especially good at 2 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, they're fresh. That's when we make them. Thank you for the cookies, Mark. Uh, like I'm, I'm going to need all of this junk food to be to comfort me <laughs> because of that awful, awful, perhaps true conspiracy theory. Hey, you, oh. you sparked the idea. Oh, I'm so sorry. So technically, this everyone. is your theory. You, he, she sparked the idea, but Mark, you pulled the trigger. Oh nah. no! Oh no, that was James. Hey! Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. 
well, Mark, I, I hope you don't mind if I if I set down the cup of cocoa. Uh, I think I'm going to step out of Conspiracy Corner now. <laughs> um, Look at you, scared Megan off. <laughs> no, she's That's don't worry. Conspiracy Corner. Don't worry. Actually, guys, I will be back. I will be back. There is, I want to, I will be back when we get to the end of this episode. Uh, because I, I have a conspiracy that's a little nuts. Uh, <laughs> I'm just laughing my face off in the She's, background here. Cause, uh, this is fun. This is fun. I enjoy this. Oh, all right. Well, thank you for allowing us to, to park it here in conspiracy corner for a bit, Mark. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. You know, you're always welcome on the shipping shelf whenever you'd like. Mm. <laughs> a little too high for me. <laughs> I mean, that's and yet part you have of the conspiracy corner. It's just specialized. <sighs> we have a step ladder. We're all very short. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm very short. For shipping, I will hoist myself up wherever I need to. I'm average. <laughs> Honestly, uh, yeah. For me and Stacy are doing the bell thing where we're like sliding on that rolling ladder. That's how we get to the shipping shelf. <laughs> All right. It's custom built just for us and everything. <laughs> it's pretty great. Have you <laughs> ever slid on a rolling ladder in a in a library? It's the best. Um, can't recommend it enough. All right. So, team leader, meeting, and crow. <laughs> this is when our, our team leaders find out about the murder of poor Forrest, as well as the murder of several other people that's basically making it look just kind of like we had asserted that Ironwood and or, you know, the powers that be at Atlas are to blame because these are the people that are speaking out against the current regime and it's making it look like they're, someone's trying to silence them. So that does seem to be the the motive. So it's not necessarily... Although I'm sure Tyrion just also wanting to cause chaos and just to have a good time murdering people, it seems like there is a method to the madness. Um, and in this moment, you know, James is not completely unconcerned about his public image, but uh, we get a really interesting moment where Jean kind of speaks up about how the current state of the embargo is making things worse and people would be less likely to jump to the conclusion that Ironwood's to blame if the state of the world wasn't what it was, if decisions that he had made hadn't been put into place. And like, at you know, Jean is very open about this at first and then kind of remembers where he is and you can kind of see how nervous that makes him speaking truth to power. And there's a moment where you're not quite sure how the scene is going to go before Ironwood ultimately agrees with him. Now, have our boys and girls gotten a little bit too familiar with authority uh, because I feel like at some point someone's going to casually say something that Ironwood doesn't like or isn't supposed to hear and things are going to escalate. I don't know. What did you think of this moment? Let's start with Mark. Ooh, oh boy. Uh, I think not this moment, but this, I think how well this moment went will come back and bite John in the butt because he'll probably speak out at another time when it's 
very inappropriate. But in terms of the information, it seems like par for the course. And, you know, like week on week, I know I said early on that we can't, we can't necessarily trust James. And I still, I still think that he is a little paranoid, but I do I don't think it, it's the arrival of our team that's making it worse. It might be making it better, but there might be some unseen action in the background that we don't know is affecting him to a certain end. So I, I think this, I think having friends to talk to about it was very helpful. I, wa- I wonder how different the conversation would have gone if Winter was involved, but that's just me. Stacy. First off, I think it's nice to see Jean kind of slipping more into that leader role, actually speaking his mind, being interested in and putting it out there. Uh, on the other hand, I am still very wary of Ironwood. And I, I, I agree with you, Mark. I think that we, you know, that they are being lulled almost into a false sense of security in far, insofar as like, oh, you can trust me. Look at all these things I'm doing. Look at all of these ways I'm trusting you. Oh, you want to speak out against my policies? I'm going to smile and nod and kind of agree with you. And that'll make you feel secure and bolster your courage around. So, who knows at this point, but I'm still very nervous about that being a possibility that that somewhere in all of Ironwood's actions are just him building up this reserve of things he can then later turn around once he's gotten Team Ruby to open up to him and just pile down on. Yeah, James definitely seems to be the type to take notes. Uh, Katie. I'm still kind of on team trust Ironwood, honestly, and I realize more and more that I'm the only member, which makes this particular corner of the conspiracy, this particular part of the conspiracy corner very lonely. Um, He really, he continues to read to me as someone who is overwhelmed and someone who is therefore focusing on what he's good at, which is why we've got all this focus on military strategies and whatnot and him not giving a damn about his bad reputation without understanding that people will put up with a lot of bullshit if they think it comes from a place of benevolence. If they actually believe that things will be better along the line, or this is for the greater good, or it's hard now, but we'll get through it. Like, if people loved James right now, they would probably not be as mad about the embargo. It would still be an issue. It would still be a problem. But if people actually believed in him, if he had a better reputation, if he were more people-facing, it's entirely possible that there wouldn't be as much unrest. People wouldn't be as unhappy about it because it's, okay, well, we don't like this, but we can see why he's doing it and we understand and we're with him and we're... He's missing that core point of leadership. Your people don't necessarily have to like you, but it's a problem if they hate you. And we're not really into Machiavelli better to be feared than love territory with him. I I don't know how well he'd be able to pull that off for a long period of time. So I think that Jean kind of speaking his truth here is a little bit of truth bomb that's needed because it's not something that James considers. And I doubt that it's anything his closer advisors ever bring up. I'm 100% in the same boat as Ruby, 
where it's like, I want to trust this man. He's like, I see the good in what he's trying to do, but ultimately he is a guy who is overwhelmed and is on the edge. And my big concern is how close to that edge he's walking and what it would take to push him over that edge to make him the tyrant that everyone fears he is actually becoming. Even though that's not what we're seeing from Team Ruby's perspective, I'm wondering if things were to escalate, if he would turn into that tyrant, even if it would break his heart, and subsequently ours. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, long, long way of saying that, like, I think they're doing the right thing keeping things close to the chest and being careful about where 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 it is we step. Um, but yeah, very proud of Jean for being able to speak truth to power. And I hope he can continue to do so without repercussions. Um, but I also really appreciate that, like, I, I obviously uh, Ironwood isn't in tyrant mode as of yet. And I hope we never get there. Uh, but you know what he is, kind of? He's kind of in like a, I don't want to say necessarily a father position right now, but he is kind of acting as a the a, a fatherly male role model to these, to these young men and women, uh, which is really nice to see when uh, Jacques Schnee flies into the scene, apropos of literally no one asking him to come by ever for any reason. So this is when we get to probably the emotional crux of the episode, which is a father-daughter reunion between Jacques and Weiss. So yeah, this scene was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot to take in, and I thought the payoff for it was absolutely phenomenal. Stacy, what did you think of this father-daughter reunion? I couldn't tell if he was trying to act like he didn't care and was like, oh, there's my daughter. I'm going to ignore her. I'm going to ignore... No, I can't. I gotta say something. And it was it was different than I think a lot of people expected, me included. Um, he he did rein in the dramatics a little bit until the, you know, the end of their encounter. But I... Weiss, you know, standing her own and having her team stand with her uh, so solidly. And especially after that whole, well, team team should just be co-workers and not friends. Uh, we took it a step further. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're not friends. We're family. Oh, it was so, so good. Yeah. Mark? That was their take. I, <laughs> speaking to that last point you made, Stacey, I... Was tr- I was trying to keep an eye on Weiss the whole time. See how she was reacting to every single thing. And that made me realize, how do you think the Aesop's reacted to that? They have a completely different relationship to Jacques. And they have just met one of... you know, I mean, they've worked with Winter, yes. But seeing... I don't know if they've necessarily seen this side of him. Did Does that affect sort of like their business working? Like, th- now that's a new relationship that I want to see. How do the Aesops react to Jacques? And, and, and I think we'll... At least I hope we'll see some of that moving forward. But, um, yeah, the emotional takeaways were... 
Uh, I just hate him. So <laughs> yeah. So much. What an, what an emotionally controlling piece of garbage. And uh, 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 mm. this this helped fuel sort of my um, Mamashni is the winter maiden thing uh, a little bit more. But I'm not going to get into that right now because there's not enough time. But yeah, I, I think the, the main takeaway is that no matter what sort of a corner Jacques is in, he tries to get a little bit of his power back emotionally through the through his uh his children yeah that oh the way he he used her mom as emotional manipulation it just ugh, it got under my skin I'm a fucking piece of shit uh, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile we have a family guy cut away to mama schnee weiss left <laughs> she was gone weiss came home from school Weiss here. She visited? <laughs> Are they on spring break? What bottle is this? <laughs> oh. Klein uh, in oh. like a wig being like, yes, mother, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> she just never thought Weiss left. Yeah. Oh, God. You put that wig on, Klein. <laughs> she doesn't realize that Weiss went away to Beacon. Yeah, she 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 thinks her her daughter's still in high school. Klein, Klein, how did my daughter do on her entrance exam to that one school? There's Klein? this. <laughs> <laughs> There's this holiday parody song called "It's Christmas and I Wonder Where I Am." About it's basically just from the point of view of someone who is utterly, utterly drunk, and that's kind of how I imagine Mama Schnee's worldview just not really all there on purpose yeah well i don't i don't want to make light necessarily of the the disease that is alcoholism um but actually i do want to take this opportunity to segue really quick um to bring up something that uh katie wanted to comment on yeah i i was talking with a couple of friends one of whom had only just caught up with ruby by marathoning several seasons which is a task and she mentioned that um she'd actually missed that crow had given up drinking because it was a subtle quiet moment at the end of season six and you know when you marathon seasons they all run together and she thought that the show didn't make as big a deal of it. And and one of my other friends, friend of the show, uh, Farley, she's, for those of you who have been around for a while, she's the one that provides the writer's tears for Miles and company because this show hurts us all. <laughs> she mentioned that it's possible that we were waiting until we meet Mama Schnee to kind of do a compare and compress, compare and contrast words it's contagious with um mama Schnee's alcoholism versus crows recently going sober i i think that might be a really good way of showing how far he's come you know being able to pull himself out of that and it also might explain a little bit of um winter's resentment towards him in addition to just kind of being an irresponsible esque kind of figure um but like 
the his constant drinking might have just you know hit a little too close to home for her and that might be one of the reasons why she doesn't really care for crow um but anyway is it my turn to yell about dad yes that's awful <laughs> katie go ahead <laughs> what do you think of this scene flames flames on the side of my face <laughs> burning flames <laughs> god damn Nobody wanted him here. Like I, I, I appreciate Ironwood taking the call and going, no, no, let him land. It's fine. I'll deal with him. Like, w- was the other option shooting him down? Could could we not have gone with that? Can we go with that again? Can we? Can we please? I'd like to do that. It's hard to claim that it was an unidentified craft when the Schnee logo was all over the damn thing. <laughs> this is this is true. But yeah, just the, we have allowed you to land here once as a courtesy. This is now a classified military site by Felicia. I also appreciate when he starts to get into his abusive father, I have half a mind to threat that Ironwood steps in and goes, half a mind to what? Like, are you really going to be violent here in public in front of one of the leaders of this country? You want to go there? We'll go there. Nobody messes with Iron Daddy's kids. (laughs) So it, it forces the tactic switch, but it's it's interesting to see that when Jacques goes on a tear and then sees family business being brought into business business, that he might not necessarily be able to handle himself without interruption. Something, something, the sin of wrath. I also appreciate that after he left and Weiss makes a crack to Winter about, you just missed Dad. She's like, oh, no, I didn't just miss him. And I'm like, you avoided him. I appreciate that a lot. Was I the only one that hoped, you know, Winter rolled up about a minute earlier and just ran him straight over? <laughs> oh, sorry. We didn't know. this. The ship wasn't cleared for landing. We had no idea you'd be here. Oh, no. The gear shift got stuck. Oh, oh no. Whoops. Winter just shows Shame. up fifteen minute late. Fifteen minutes late with Starbucks. What did I miss on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me. I already know. Um, I she think, just because it's Atlas, she brings a bunch of flat whites. <laughs> I think that provides actually a very interesting contrast uh, to what we had in Volume Three when Winter was encouraging Weiss to not avoid the problem that is their family. Um, Obviously, the situation has escalated and changed quite a bit. To, it also might tie into the idea that, you know, Winter knows that Weiss is capable of handling herself. So it's entirely possible she saw the whole thing going down, was going to step in and went, you know what? No, Weiss can handle herself here. Let's just see how this plays out before. I would say she, maybe she thought not just Weiss, Let's see how Weiss handles this, but Weiss needs to handle this. I still just like the idea of her going, oh, there's dad. Bye. It's also, you know, Winter said, you know, I'm not always going to be there to to take care of you, to save you. Um, You know, she might have been looking on that scene and seeing Weiss's teammates take her hand and show her that love and support and go, I might not always be there to save you, but they will. I don't know. We're putting words in her mouth. (laughs) Admittedly, she didn't have many words this episode, so there's a lot of wiggle room for that. Um, I do. I did appreciate that. Yeah, no, hard pass when it comes to seeing dad, though. (laughs) 
Um, Bye. For for me, the thing that really stood out about this scene <laughs> is that Weiss was almost an afterthought. The main thing that Jacques was concerned with was Ironwood standing in his way. And the fact that not one, but both of his daughters have basically run away to Ironwood is kind of more like just salt in the wound or it adds insult to injury to the thing that is really causing him pain, which is the the hit to his bottom line and how this affects his potential election to the council. So that's the thing that really stood out to me was that this seemed to be more about Ironwood than it did about his girls. So, cool, father of the year moment, yay. I mean, he's mad because Ironwood keeps stealing what he sees as his property. Yeah, it did come off as like, you took my stuff! (laughs) Stop doing that! Real model human being he is. We all know that my kids don't actually have their own personalities or aspirations and are simply just extensions of me. It's just that only one of the three has actually cottoned on to that fact. It was the boy. (laughs) It's the boy! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, dat boy. Do we have any other thoughts on uh, this uh, seeing Papa Schnee again uh, before before we, we move on to our next topic? I'm not sure he will survive this arc, and I will not be sad if he doesn't. All right. Yep. <laughs> I mean, murder, murder seems to be the best line to transition off of. Yes. <laughs> murder. And on that note, we want to take a quick moment to talk to you guys about how you can support our show. Folks, it really means a lot to us, to everybody who's gone to iTunes, to rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We love hearing from you. And when you guys leave a comment, it also gives us the opportunity to give you all a shout out on the show. And so we actually have a new one this week. I've got it. And I also wanted to thank everybody for the support of the new show, uh, Let's Play Family Forum. Uh, We really appreciate it. I've I've been wanting to do something in and around the Let's Play Family for a little while. And um, my wife and I got like fell pretty far into uh the achievement hunter and then we got the musical and it felt like the best time to start so if you listen if you're listening to this and you didn't know that we have other shows we do we have a show about red versus blue genlock camp camp more on that later and achievement hunter which we just started now but i wanted to take this time we all wanted to take this time to thank super bell for leaving a five-star comment on itunes love the content i have been listening to these wonderful people for a while and love the content and discussion that they bring to the table it feels good to be back at it with the latest season of ruby but i also love the rest of the content that they cover thank you super bell super bell for your five-star comment we really appreciate it it helps more people come along and join the family on itunes so thank you and if you're uh, leaving comments in other countries, we don't necessarily see those. So take a screenshot, tweet them at us at the Rooster Team, and uh, we'll read we'll read them live on the air. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to us, guys. It helps make us more searchable on our new platform, and also it just brightens up my day. That just brightened up my day considerably. It's nice. <laughs> but there are also other ways to support us. Um, 
You can support us on Anchor with uh, a monetary contribution, which helps us, you know, produce more shows and, you know, gives us time to write episodes of Welcome to Vale and things like that. And we also have a Tee Public store that you can visit where you can buy some of the merch of the silly things that we say. <laughs> and, uh, and I can and I can say this for sure. We, we saw a little bit of an uptick of Welcome to Vale stuff getting purchased from Tee Public and that sort of kicked my ass into all right let's get this next episode out so like 100 percent, it works if there's interest and and there's a you, you let us know in more ways than just hey i like that or even if you do just let us know hey i like that then that really gets us moving to make more you heard it here folks we can be bribed <laughs> Um, so yeah, thank it's you the guys. American way. Thank you guys so, so much for your support. It means the world to us. So let's get back to it. Uh, guys, I, I like for this next part of the show, I do want to point out, have anybody, have any of you guys ever had a friend completely ruin a surprise party? No, I've been fortunate. Stacy, you know I have not. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> um, I've ruined my own. What? <laughs> Ju- just in the sense of of me going, this is all very weird. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> me, qu- me questioning everything. Why did these people jump out at me with balloons and confetti? <laughs> well, I mean, by that point, <laughs> it's fairly obvious. I'm about to be murdered by a clown. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> hey. Um, this this next part of the episode where Penny jumps in with her big congratulations, it just reminded me, if you don't mind me going into a segue, um, I had a friend one time manage to completely spoil another friend's surprise welcome home party. Uh, I had a friend who had been in Costa Rica for several months. She came back and we were all going to throw a surprise party for her. And a, you know, it was, we, we did all the planning. We, (laughs) we, we, I, I had created a reason for her to show up at a particular place where the, the party was being thrown. Like we planned it all out. It was great. And then a mutual friend of ours from all the way across the country, actually where you are in Florida, (laughs) Mark, managed to spoil the party day of when she sent an email and said, have fun at the party tonight. So tripped at the finish line. (laughs) So Penny showing up and being congratulations before the party even got started just brought back all those memories of the one time I tried to throw a surprise party for somebody and failed spectacularly because somebody across the continental U.S. decided to spoil it. (laughs) So good job, Penny. (laughs) No, um, honestly, it, it was super cute to see Penny so excited for her friends. And so what follows uh, kind of was a little bit reminiscent of uh, Genlock. What would have happened had the, you know, things not <laughs> gone south very quickly when they got their call signs, I feel like. Um, in what is most likely another sort of way for Ironwood 
whether it's meant to be manipulative or if it's genuinely earnest, but what is probably a motive for him to try to win their trust, Ironwood makes our boys and girls all official huntsmen and huntresses, and they officially graduated. And it's not quite what they expected it would be. And he's not necessarily the best at wrapping up speeches either. So what did we think of this, you know, step forward for our team and what it means for them or what maybe it doesn't mean for them anymore? And let's start with Stacy. And I think it was a very interesting moment. And honestly, one that is kind of expected coming from them after everything they've been through, the life that they've lived since being students, that sometimes when you've been working towards something, something that you want, when you have experiences that are above and beyond and seem way more important, then you get like an update on your scroll that says you're official. I get how it could feel kind of underwhelming, kind of like, well... We did it. Yay. Yay. <laughs> right. And, and the fact that they're so serious about it. I, I love that they had to be reminded that, hey, you, you can be excited about this. You're allowed to celebrate your achievements instead of just launching yourself forward into the next thing, which they do anyways, <laughs> granted. But <laughs> they at least have a slice of cake first. Or like five if you're Nora. Of course. <laughs> she could eat the whole cake if she wanted to. Who says she can't? Don't no challenge one. her on that. No one says she can't. No <laughs> one's arguing. <laughs> Mark, uh, what did you think of this uh, graduation and then party? Uh, to comment on what, what Stacy just said. Yeah, they they feel comfortable launching into the next thing because they have their landing strategies now. That's the whole, <laughs> that was one of the whole points. But um, I, I, was, I was a little surprised that like they, Ironwood made the comment about where they are and what it means and and it being a significant part of their story taking place in Amity Arena and nothing really coming up about Pyrrha that was that was a little bit surprising to me um uh, like they were they were standing right there they were right in the center of the coliseum where everything happened and they and even with penny back alive and well they didn't really comment on that and it, it was more of i think maybe there might be like a director's cut sort of a sort of a situation not saying that there is don't release not release the snyder cut but it's <laughs> no. a thing a thing where maybe in one of the original drafts no. they spend a little bit more time talking about like talking through it because yeah they they've been like saying we we've gone through this journey with them and them saying we've been through a lot resonates with us as an audience but at the same time what if you know there's there's a lot that can be running through a person's mind i know we got the little bit of closure last season but that's there's still Pierre is still very much a part of that group. All seven of them. I don't. I don't just mean Juniper. I mean, I mean all seven of them. So especially with Pennyback, I was a little bit taken back by that. But I I do agree. It's one of those things where is this the calm before the storm? Like when is there a storm? <laughs> like it's it's a very disarming moment because yeah, this is this is what they wanted, right? And now seeing this coming as a compliment to this to the scene at the beginning about the Aesops not necessarily being friends at work and, and now like oh cool 
we're huntsmen now hooray (laughs) like now i think this scene this episode is going to help in putting a lot of things into perspective for our teams i think so too katie I'm building off of what Mark said. I'm not necessarily surprised that they didn't bring up Pura because you... Words. Thanks, brain. Because this is supposed to be a celebratory event. We are trying to not necessarily move on, but just say, hey, you did it. Congratulations. And you don't want to bring the mood down. Like, I can understand why Ironwood would prefer to say, hey, we're moving forward, this is a big part of it, we're going to keep going, yay, try to keep morale up, as opposed to, and also let's remember the people who didn't make it here with us today, because how can you move forward if you keep moving back, or looking back? So I can I can kind of understand why they didn't bring that up. You're right, it's still a hole in the teams and a hole in everyone's hearts, let's be real. But I can see why he didn't go there. I also saw this as not necessarily a political move, but something that will make things a lot easier for everyone. Because then it stops being, here is a bunch of students and their escort, Crow, the dubious adult, and (laughs) becomes, these are all licensed huntsmen and huntresses. It allows them a lot of legal freedom of movement and freedom of action that they would not have otherwise had as students. It's like coming off of your probationary driver's license and getting your actual driver's license. You still don't necessarily know what you're doing yet, and you need a lot more practice, but supposedly you can be in a car on your own and everything's fine. That's that's kind of what this is, so I can see why he did it. It's partially a morale move and partially a, no, this will make life so much easier for all of us, and you have more than earned it. Congratulations. I can also see why this doesn't seem like as big a thing to them anymore, because their worldview has widened so much. First couple seasons were, you know, it's it's a school show, and our next there's always a larger overarching plot. There's this gang activity, there's this, there's that, but we're focused on being at school and learning and being a better team and getting our diplomas and this and that and the other, and, and all of a sudden it's like, so there's this reincarnating wizard magic was real the gods broke the moon and there's this immortal person who just kind of hates life and helps make grim and kind of wants us all to die and we've been in a centuries-long guerrilla warfare against her it puts a lot of things in large horrifying perspective to the point where you forget about your smaller goals because what do they matter anymore You've had the veil pulled back and you can see everything and there are much bigger things to worry about. And so it's nice to have a reminder that, look, just because you've got a huge thing on your plate doesn't mean you can't celebrate smaller accomplishments. Like, that is a life lesson. Yeah, it like looking at Ironwood and just literally with the press of a button, he has changed the, the status of, you know... He's changed basically their social status with the literal press of a button where it's like, oh, this is going to make things a lot easier now. We're not going to have to ask Crow to to go do this. Or it makes me wonder whether or not if they had had this earlier, if it would have made getting through um, the gate uh, that much easier in the previous season or if they still would have had to steal a ship. 
But um, let's be real. They still would have had to steal a ship. It's Cordo. True story. Um, but yeah, this this resonated with me a lot, especially with um, Ruby, you know, sitting down and going like, I don't feel any different. I don't feel any wiser or more accomplished um, because, you know, a, a license isn't necessarily like an indication of how wise you are in the same way that like getting a diploma doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're that much wiser it it just kind of you know (laughs) getting a diploma doesn't mean you're smart (laughs) there's a great song in frozen 2 all about it oh yeah this will all make sense when i am older no it won't (laughs) what lies like when when i think we all kind of resonate with the idea of like when we graduated college like I don't know about you guys. I did not feel like I had any idea what I was doing. And to an extent, I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing. People who say that they know what they're doing are either liars or in denial. Or have trust funds. <laughs> oh, jeez. And they don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Quit hurting me. That makes you, makes you confident in a way you'd never know. <laughs> <laughs> we will never... <sighs> We refer to those as Jacques Schneez, <laughs> Jacques Schneez of the world. And Whitley's. <laughs> See, I'd say that's the Whitley's of the world because the Jacques Schneez are uh, clout chasers. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, there seems to be some strategy involved with that. He seemed to know what he was doing when he was marrying into the family. Um, but uh, it really resonated with me. And um, especially, too, with the idea that, like, I forgot this is what I wanted. Um, like... Career-wise, I I think we probably all have been in, like, a similar position where, you know, you graduate college and you think to yourself, if I can just get this job or I can just do this, if I can just make this much money, I'll feel fulfilled or I'll be happy. And then you accomplish that goal and you're like, oh, wait, why why did this not fix my life? Why do I still – why is this not bringing me the happiness that I thought it would? And – you really see Ruby kind of struggling with that a little bit. And yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, it just really resonated with me. So I feel you, kids. I feel you. But I mean, ultimately, it is something, you know, it is important to celebrate the little things and enjoy the, you know, and enjoy these accomplishments when they come around. Because again, when there's an evil, terrifying, immortal witch who wants ultimately to destroy the world, you don't know when your next big party's going to be. So you might as well enjoy it while you can and get some adorable selfies with your future girlfriend, maybe? I don't know. Uh, future wife. <laughs> come on. Uh, real quick segue to the shipping shelf. Uh, adorable. Yes. Oh my god. So cute. I was just gonna say thanks for the new meme. Precious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is a great meme. Oh, just the number of times that click <laughs> the camera clicked. It was so perfect. She had to get a the perfect shot, okay? Anytime, anytime somebody asks me to take pictures, I take a bunch of pictures and then I just hold the button for a long time. <laughs> Look, if you're going to get a good picture of a cat, you need to be on the nature shutter because they move so quickly. Blake's got this down. Yang's got this down. Oh, my God. I'm very tired. Oh, she knows what she's doing. Um, <laughs> I was on a plane today. I take no blame for anything. 
Not a shipping moment, but another just super cute interaction I appreciated was Penny shaking hands with Yang and getting treated to that um, detachable arm and how how fascinating that was. That was that was a good time. I love that Yang is so comfortable with that now. Yeah, it's gross. It, it warms my heart to see her go into that with good humor. Um, but yeah, we do have uh, a little bit of, you know, while everybody else is partying and eating cake and in Nora's case, eating all the cake, um, <laughs> we have this moment between, she could do it. <laughs> at a girl, uh, yeah. we have this moment between Crow and Ruby where they talk about summer and it's been a long time since we've gotten any tidbits of information about summer and what we find out about her is a little bit surprising even though it's not a whole lot it is a little it is one more step another piece of the puzzle that is ruby's mom and i want to know what did we think of that let's start with katie do we really think and i might be cribbing off of something that you said megan so please correct me if i am do we really think that Summer's last mission was a Summer thing, or was it an Oz thing that Crow simply didn't know about and that Oz was lying about? I feel like that was your idea, and I just repeated it. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Megan has good input. Look what I took. Credit for finding. Uh, <laughs> I will put red versus blue references in here if I can. Um I like that we're getting a little more about Summer, especially since we've kind of left her on the back burner for so long. And I'm going to put another pin on the board for Conspiracy Corner here. Summer isn't dead. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But still, (laughs) it was never when she died. It was when she didn't come back. And we know that like 99% of the time, if a huntsman on a mission and they don't come back, they're not coming back at all because they're dead. However, this is Summer that we're talking about, and she's protagonist-y kind of, so it's entirely possible that she is still alive out there in some capacity that either no one knows about or that all the wrong people found out about before any of the right people could. Ooh. Mark, what are your thoughts? Um, maybe she's trapped in time. Oh! What? <laughs> maybe, maybe the mission that she was sent on was to stop, uh, brain, stop Salem for good, and that doesn't happen until the future. Ooh. What? Some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. We, I mean, we still don't know what... Oz's, it, I mean, is Oz's semblance the fact that he, it, it isn't that he gets reincarnated, but he, the way that he was working, he had the, the, the clocks and the gears sort of a, a motif when it came to Beacon Tower and his office and his fight with Cinder was very Dragon Ball-esque. Like, do we know for sure what his semblance was? So um, here's my question. Do we know for sure that he has a semblance? That's a good question because he comes from the old world where everyone had magic. Did that get taken uh, away from him? But when he inherits, when he inherits bodies, is it like an all for one situation where if they have a semblance, does he take that with him when he goes into the next form? He has every semblance. (laughs) 
In addition to, I mean, that that might, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why the maidens are so powerful. Um, yeah. Because, you know, he just, he gave them a portion of his power. And mm-hmm. that's what the maidens, you know, we've seen what the maidens are capable of. And that's just a fraction of what he has, uh, supposedly a fraction of what he has. He gave them some of his semblances <laughs> that he's accrued over the <laughs> just <a> few. <laughs> Mark, you lost me on the time travel, and I think I'm still a little lost, but that's okay. I'm enjoying the scenery. (laughs) Hey, it's about the ride, not the destination. (laughs) It's been a bumpy ride. (laughs) Stacy, what are your thoughts? Okay, so let me me reorient myself after the time travel. (laughs) Uh, Because seriously, like, it all just disappeared for a second there. But, uh, so... I think that the language that we've used around Summer whenever she is mentioned, even though it's been very fleeting throughout the volumes, has been shrouded in mystery. It's been very vague on, I'm assuming that's on purpose. We are, we get very select tidbits and they don't really answer very many questions. This was a, oh, well, maybe she was doing this, maybe this, uh, I think there is a very high possibility that she had something going on on her own and it was indeed a summer mission. Or, my money's more on, it was an Ozpin situation related mission that Summer might, like a side project that Summer is undertaking on her own in a big heroic gesture to try and turn the tides in a way that she thought only she could do. Summer had silver eyes, didn't she? Do we know? Uh, yes. There you go. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and hop back into Conspiracy Corner, and I will hop back in again. We never left! <laughs> and that's the real twist. This whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my second cocoa. <laughs> but. Oh, let me, let me refill that for you. Oh, thanks. thanks. Could I, could I, Actually could you top me off as well? Yeah, yeah, one sec. Thing. Now, someone brought the bottle of Jack to put in this, right? Or Bailey's oh, or something? That was just a given. It comes with. Oh, good. I was going to say... Good, good. ready for us. I was going to say way ahead of you, but thank you, Mark. You're you're ahead of me in that department. All I right. like how previously this episode we talked about uh, alcoholism, and now we're like, please, don't just give it. <laughs> give me a drink. Well, you drag us to the conspiracy corner. There's only so much we can do. I well, kindly invited the, you. The drinks are <laughs> and what you, make the conspiracies make sense. Uh, y'all like uh, eager vampires accepted my invitation into the conspiracy corner. <laughs> we definitely don't have that recorded for you to prove, okay? No. Never. Can't prove it. I'm going to go ahead it. and say, Mark, uh, we're going to make sure that you're set up with a full bar in this corner over here uh, mm. for future episodes. And let's be honest, eventually the corner that is conspiracy corner is just going to be the entire room. It's uh, give it time. It's and it's happening. It's like did, a pillow anybody, fort. It expands. Did anybody notice the uh, the engraving on the front of the bar? No, I missed it. The you know it's the 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 patron the the person who donates the most and helps sort of keep this conspiracy alive. So so I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that this is the Eddie Rivas conspiracy <laughs> corner bar. <laughs> I mean that is the only thing that makes sense. You're right. And also we get multi uses <laughs> not just from this show. <laughs> but for every show. Nervous 30. 
<laughs> I think that's the point where I start like flipping over pillows and turning up blankets and going, where is the nomad? <laughs> He's got to be there somewhere. Sore subject right now. All right. Well, to get back to what I was saying. <laughs> right. Right. In my conspiracy corner. You wanted this. <laughs> I did. Um, okay, but did we come in like hungry vampires or did we come in like holiday party guests? <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. This is true. Remember that vampires need to be invited in in order to gain access to your house. Be careful yes. of holiday vampires this season, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> the true menace, the the true uh, threat that is, uh, you know, <laughs> that Remnant has to deal with. It's not Salem. It's holiday vampires. I mean, same thing. Vampires. They want to siphon off all of your Christmas joy. Be uh, mindful of Transylvanian accented Christmas carolers. <laughs> Do not offer them cocoa. No. Um, anyway. So my my thought process was, um, yes, we don't know, necessarily know for sure if Summer is dead. I tend to think she is because of the lyrics of Red Like Roses, which, you know, the songs kind of fill in some of the, the lore blanks, but they're also not necessarily explicitly canon. Um, they like I feel like the emotions behind the song are more canon than the you know the exact lyrics of every song and in red like roses part two she says i don't want you to end your life you know i don't want you to do what i did and end your life in vain so that makes me think that summer rose is dead but i'm also fully willing to entertain the possibility that the show itself has been vague enough on that that it's not necessarily the case um but well, if she, I mean, oh, and, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, but but just to give a little bit more background, like you're talking about Red Like Roses Part Two, do you did you know that there are two vocalists in that song? Yes, mother yeah. and daughter. Exa- yeah, so I think I think they're going pretty hard with it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty. But you know, plans change. Things. Sure, um, sure, sure. Like, if there's one thing I I've learned looking at shows over the years, it's you know something. The the course you chart at the beginning isn't necessarily where you end up by the end of things because of a number of circumstances. Sometimes you get an idea that, that fits in far better than you could ever have imagined when you first started. And sometimes there are production issues or, you know, any number of things. There are literally millions of things that happen in the course of production that could change ultimately where a show ends up. And I'm not just talking about Rooster Teeth related shows, but like just shows in general. And even if um, you have a show where they have the ending planned out almost from the beginning, like sometimes kind of like our, our boys and girls at graduation here, sometimes the show outgrows that ending and that ending doesn't necessarily fit anymore. That was the problem with How I Met Your Mother. And I won't spoil it for anybody who who's currently watching it but like i felt like how i met your mother outgrew its ending um so yeah any number of things can change it did and then they tried to shoehorn back in an ending that they had moved past but point being summer could very well still be alive and what if she became a maiden or maybe even not maybe ozpin confided in her the truth 
And she decided that because either she had maiden powers or she had silver eyes or because she's just a good person that she was going to take it upon herself to either A, go and defeat Salem or B, try to reason with her. It's entirely possible that, again, she she went into this mindset going, I can beat her because of silver eyes or I can beat her because of the power of empathy, love, and understanding like it's an episode of Steven Universe. And either one of those, I can see either one of those approaches backfiring on her and then Salem not killing her, but instead just kind of stowing her away somewhere. Like what if she's like, oh, look, a summer maiden. That's Good for me. I'll just go ahead and tuck you away somewhere because you're clearly loyal to Oz. I'll figure out what to do with you later. We're just going to take you off the board for now. So, I don't that know. sounds reasonable. <laughs> That's a, it's a crazy conspiracy, but it could explain where she's been this whole time. And mm-hmm. we have not heard anything about the Summer Maiden in, like, the entirety of this show. So, yep. gonna go ahead and throw that out there as potential nonsense. <laughs> um, anyway... Let's go ahead and move back into the show proper. Uh, Less than an hour after graduating, the kids are already looking at the job board, and they're really excited for their next mission. Well, yeah, employment's hard. (laughs) (laughs) At least they didn't graduate during a recession like we did. (laughs) Yeah, just a global apocalypse. It's fine. Oh, shit, we have one of those, too. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know which one you were talking about, that world or this one. (laughs) Global warming. (laughs) Um, but uh, I really appreciated this scene this is what I'm talking about where we get moments of levity Uh, Ruby looking at the cool new app and uh, seeing her be herself and with how excited she is and that just that whole bit of like what if I go undercover was just so so much fun and it was great seeing Elm appreciate their enthusiasm (laughs) Um, But by the time uh, this whole thing wraps up, Jean gets stuck with a mission that basically sounds like a combination between a video game escort mission and babysitting. He's on a milk run, let's be real. He just, he lost the game of not it. He was the last, like, it was one of those things where they were like, any, any volunteers and if there's a volunteer for this, please step forward. And everyone else stepped back. Oh, poor Jean. I don't know, man. I think he's he's one of the few people that I think just his temperament, like, yeah, he wants to challenge himself, but I think he's one of the few people that I would trust with children. You know, Mark, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stacy, do you think Mark's correct? I do. I think that he is well-suited for people facing, like, jobs and for kind of being that human relations type of of role so well yes he's he's got the strategy for fighting grim he's pretty good with people too so i can see that looking out and and also this gets him face to face with the people of mantle this makes him be sort of a nice face whether strategically that's what ironwood is looking for with 
the kids with these new jobs is putting some new faces out there so that can be a little bit more forward facing with like a pro mantle attitude or if on the flip side mantle is looking for people if jean is the person that is helping their children stay safe then jean becomes an instant person that the the families in mantle can trust Aww, i love that See, I would love to see like all these other ones, you know, go into the sewers to get this grim and do this and that and the other wind up being pretty tame. And then Jean's child convoy gets attacked and he has to protect them. Like, yeah, probably. I'd love to see that go down. That'd be funny. He would instantaneously become dozens of children's hero for life. Yeah. He's a knight in shining armor. Aww. He is. Absolutely. And jeans. But also <laughs> shining armor. A knight in shiny jeans. <laughs> They're a bit dazzled. <laughs> I think that's actually a fair assessment. I feel like this, it, it's going to seem, it's either going to be a cutaway joke of like, oh man, kids are the real monsters. I'd rather take on the Grimm any day. Or it is going to be like a very big monumental, Jean has to save all of these children. I, I think that's a good assessment. Um, do we have any other thoughts on uh, sort of the mission board and our, our final interaction with the Aesops before we wrap up and move on to the final scene of this episode? Nope. <laughs> 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 yeah, it just, I think if they're like, Marrow's either going to be a traitor or he and Elm are going to be 100% team Juniper and team Ruby. Even if ordered to do otherwise. That's what I think anyway. Um, so yeah, we this we get one final scene in this episode. And that's where we hop back to the Schnee household. Where uh, we still don't get a good look at Mama Schnee. We, we still have yet to meet her. But Papa Schnee is in his office. He's turned around all the pictures of uh, Weiss. And, you know, I think Winter as well. But definitely the I one of Weiss that. that he had on his bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, right round. that's when uh, Whitley uh, knocks at his door, presumably because he's fired Klein. <laughs> and now the boy <laughs> has to go get the door. Um, uh, let's be honest. He, that is probably what happened. No confirmation of that, but that's what I'm guessing happened. Uh, and it seems like Arthur Watts has just let himself into their home strolling in like he owns the place. Now, I have a theory about this, but I wanted to get your guys' take on it first. Let's start with Mark. I figure it's just like a hacker movie where he gives himself an I'm in. But other than that, I, that's really the only thing. I think that they didn't give us that is because of how easily memeable it is. <laughs> I kind of love that. Stacy definitely did it, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it just shows, again, he's very familiar with Atlas. He's very familiar and confident in what he can do there. Katie? This is the point where, once again, I scream about software updates and how you should do them. Um, because, again, we've we've got that back door from downstairs, essentially, from Mantle. And uh, it is not hard for someone like Watts to find a back door, especially when you just leave it open for them. So, 
No, I'm not surprised he hacked his way in, and no, I'm not surprised that he did it with panache. Have you seen that mustache? He is nothing but panache, and possibly murder. Definitely murder. (laughs) Panache (laughs) and murder. Speaking of mustaches, that brings me to my conspiracy theory. My final conspiracy for this episode, if we look at these two characters, Arthur and Jacques, they kind of have similar facial structures, similar body builds. They're not necessarily right around the same age, but I wouldn't... Don't you do it. I wouldn't (laughs) necessarily discount that they're that far apart in age. Don't, don't. Guys, and we know for a fact that Schnee is not Jacques' last name. He married into this family, and so we don't actually know his former last name. How how dare you? Maybe we do. if Jacques and Watts are dun-dun-dun, Brothers. Married. What? <laughs> Ex Hold on. husbands. <laughs> that sounds right. That that's it. <laughs> I think you nailed it. No, I think maybe they were brothers. I'm sorry, I saw that build up and I had to go pull a tablecloth out. Now Yoink. I'm basing this on very, very little. I'm basing this on absolutely nothing. (laughs) Basically all I've got is that they're both they both have mustaches. That's profiling. (laughs) I mean similar build, similar facial structure, similar disdain for everyone around them. And um Watts as I remember correctly, is a disgraced scientist and potentially a disgraced doctor. And those are high-end, high-profile, high-prestige sort of jobs. Yeah, Megan. <laughs> yes, Mark? <laughs> you broke Megan, him. I'm, I'm sorry to poke a huge hole in this theory, but we do know Jacques' last name. What was what it? What is it? It was Gelet. Jacques Gelet. Oh! That sounds suspicious So they're cousins. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> No, that's not right. No, no. <laughs> Remember that whole thing about them changing the ending? Yeah, this. <laughs> so they're cousins then. You roll with that. They're cousins. <laughs> Definitely ex-boyfriends. No, um, I my my main thought process in terms of like they were brothers was like we see Jacques' reaction to seeing his missing daughter and as arthur you know it's this very not super flustered very like very muted like what's she doing here again it was more like angry at ironwood than it was like oh there she is um for like uh we get the tidbit that arthur seems to have faked his death um, that most people in Atlas think he's dead. Not just disgraced scientist, like, think he's dead. <laughs> Which is kind of a note. But the reaction to seeing Arthur stroll back in was kind of, in my mind, very similar to, oh, there's my daughter. But uh, <laughs> way to point out that Jacques' last name actually is, we do have that and is nowhere near Watts, so maybe they're cousins at best. <laughs> Who says that Watts is actually his last name? That's fair. I mean, that's fair, but like Jacques Gelet is literally Jack Frost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, point being, 
it doesn't matter ultimately if they're related or not. And now that you've said that, Mark, I'm like, oh, there goes my theory. But I mean, like, they did kind of, like young Jacques, like, eh, eh, I can see some sort of relation there. Oh man, he looks so weird without the mustache. Well, it's like it's a pencil. <laughs> oh, he's mustache. a pencil. It's like a pencil mustache. I don't like it. <laughs> a two-tone Ricky choices. Ricardo jacket and an autographed picture of Andy Devine. Um, some days you just quote Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, they definitely used to run in the same circles, though, because that yeah. wasn't a "Who the hell are you? Get out of my house." That was a "Oh, hello, fellow human being. What the hell?" Yeah, I mean. The main point, again, they clearly have a previous relationship and probably more of what Katie was suggesting. They broke up, but they're on good terms. <laughs> Definitely um, that. <laughs> it was a very confusing time in the uh, in the hot tub. <laughs> they came out of it better. <laughs> but the, um, so like the, the main thing is that they used to know each other and Watts is here to help him out. Um, and yeah, that's probably going to lead to the destruction of Atlas. So cool, cool, cool. Thanks for nothing, Jacques. You suck. I want to point out just the one line for one, it goes from, oh, you're not dead to complaining about work. So these are obviously people who are aware that they are on the same wavelength and are picking up where they left off. But God, Jacques talking about losing money and then I would lay off everyone in Mantle if I didn't need their votes. Like, if you didn't already believe this man was evil, there you go. He is garbage. Just <laughs> he, I would say he's hot garbage, but really he's frozen garbage. <laughs> and it's time we let it go. Anyway. Oh! Sorry, everyone. I'm really, really sorry for hopping on to the soapbox section of the Conspiracy Corner. Thank you for allowing me to step up here. Uh, So do we have any other thoughts on this final scene before we wrap up for the evening? I really want to know what uh, Jacques and Watt's first date was like. (laughs) And we've slid on over to the shipping shelf again. We're in the garbage barge. (laughs) Writers, come in. All aboard. The garbage. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Um, I never claim to use my powers for good. Never. Stacy, any final thoughts? This is going to be trouble. (laughs) No, well, this this is. Well, I mean, it struck me, too, about how familiar. He just launched into it. Like, oh, you're a sympathetic ear. Here we go. (laughs) So he knows exactly what he's signing up for by A- letting him stay in his study and be like just continuing to talk at him there there's trouble in the future admittedly do you really think Jacques could make him leave if he didn't want to leave not at all <laughs> <laughs> i do have something that again mentioning my friend who just caught up and talking about we were talking about the Aesops, and yeah, everyone has a story behind who they are. It's just a matter of what is this, someone, someone new shows up, and it's this conspiracy board of, all right, what's this person's source? What's this person's inspiration? And I was talking about, yeah, we're pretty sure Dr. Watts is a Frankenstein expert. And she goes, well, you can't have a Frankenstein without a monster. What do we have in our back pockets? Did he get disgraced because he made a monster? Is he working on something we haven't seen yet? Are we even on with this whole Frankenstein theory or are we just having fun? 
Um, regardless, I thought that was a particularly good insight. Well, there's plenty of uh, plenty of characters that serve multiple purposes in terms of their inspiration and knowing what we know, albeit a little bit about Watts's background. <clears throat> There was probably something in the past. Maybe he said they said that he's a disgraced scientist. It might have been something that he made during his time in Atlas. Maybe it's something that ha- that was made and lost, but he knows exactly where it is to pull it out for the right moment. So I think there's a lot of options. I think I think Frankenstein is still I, is still pretty on point. I would venture a guess that he was experimenting with human grim things that would explain the cinder arm. <clears throat> and the reason he got in trouble was because he was experimenting on humans and not on faunas. Oof. Oh. And yet sad. Let's be real. In Atlas, one of them is going to cause more uproar than the other. Well, Stacy? Am I wrong? I might be wrong about this. Did he build Tyrion's new tail? He, he did. did. So is Tyrion kind of his current monster? Created a monster. Tyrion was already a monster. Oh, Watts just gave him auto mail. Right. He just kind of improved upon that monstrosity. But he's kind of directing Tyrion. I mean, he's definitely not like supplying the bloodlust. Tyrion has plenty of that already. But mm-hmm. he is kind of using him as his piece in down in Mantle. This is true. I see that dynamic for sure. Um, but yeah, I think the reason he got disgraced was definitely, uh, experimenting with grim bits that he should not be experimenting with. That's my guess. Uh, I'm sticking to it because I think it's far more likely than he and Jacques being brothers. <laughs> grim bits. Part of this balanced breakfast. <laughs> Two brothers. It, and that's all I'm going to say. Uh- <laughs> okay. I think this has gone on long enough. <laughs> yep. Need to need to wrap it up. All right. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on this episode as a whole? Uh, any other tiny little bits that we missed? I want to point out how freaking cute that lamb faunus was at the very, very start of the episode. It was adorable. And this is why uh, it's always fun getting introduced to new faunus. Uh, Mark, any final thoughts? Well, I mean, don't 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 like consider the sheep to be the best thing because if you've seen Zootopia you know that sheep aren't to be trusted (laughs) but that's just that's just one thing um I I really enjoyed this episode it was uh I and to be perfectly honest I didn't think that we would find that much to talk about it because it was so matter of fact and here we are one half of an uno the movie's length in (laughs) but uh i i thoroughly i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh i i think that we'll have more to talk about on the next episode stacy uh absolutely Uh, i love how many conspiracies we managed to come up with this this time around this episode really did give birth to a lot of new conspiracies conspiracies words Uh, (laughs) we're gonna have to fix up that corner but oh this this is a fun episode it's always nice to see the kids get to be kids a little bit yeah, Mark, it's awfully cozy in this corner. So thank you for for yeah, inviting. <laughs> thank you for inviting us. And yeah, Stacy, I agree. It's it's nice to see the kids get to be themselves for a little bit. Katie, any final thoughts? Married. I. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best thing I've done all episode. Um. Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a good bridge episode, and I'm both excited and terrified for the future. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all 
All yes. right. On that note, uh, it's time for us to wrap up. Mark, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can find me on Twitter at Mark Bidonica, Instagram too. You could also check out uh, another podcast that I do with my wife. Uh, it's Party of Two. We're talking about theme parks. Uh, we're putting out an episode this week about Autopia. There's actually been a lot of talk about the removal of Autopia from all of the Disney parks, but there's a legacy, there's a future, and there's a lot of possibility uh, in it. And we discuss it. Uh, and so check it out there at Party of Two. And then also make sure to check out Let's Play Family Forum where uh, for this most recent episode, my wife and I, uh, Andrea, talked about Let's Play the Musical, or no, I'm sorry, Achievement Hunter the Musical, which was a lot of fun, and uh, we've been getting some good responses for it, so thank you everybody for that, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for next week's episode. Stacy, I'm Stacy Shuttles. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stacy Shuttles. Uh, between Ruby and Frozen 2 coming out, I have a <laughs> lot of cosplay plans going on, so uh, you can follow me there for all of those updates. Uh, also be uh, working on redecorating our conspiracy corner it's clearly we need to expand already <laughs> we got to make this a full a full wall for sure the beautiful. shipping the shipping shelf is included in that wall correct yes oh that yes. gets updated constantly it's on the opposite wall that's what you think <laughs> mm, mark you've been outvoted that's what happens when you invite us in <laughs> we start redecorating and rearranging everything yep more booze over here please all part of our nefarious holiday vampire plan <laughs> 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 uh, Katie, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? It's less what we do in the shadows and more what we do on vacation. I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos to these episodes, other Rooster Teeth properties, and miscellaneous other things, including whatever Overwatch has to throw at us, they all live on that YouTube channel. Do the thing, win the stuff, etc. And I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, where my co-host and I talk about horror-related things. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm the co-host. <laughs> and I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will Link loves Lost, and I don't. And we talk about it. Be sure to follow the whole team here on uh, Twitter at the Rooster Team. Uh, be sure to check out our T Public. Uh, you know, follow us. Uh, keep up with all that. And if you haven't already done so. Join our Discord because all sorts of fun, crazy theories end up there. Some great fan art, uh, a lot of really great, just like positive affirmational stuff going on. Uh, some fun, safe for work and sometimes not so safe for work video sharing um, goes on, which is a lot of fun. And uh, last week, if you guys recall, we called out to our Discord channel asking for a new sign off to replace our old one from our previous platform. And we have a winner. So we wanted to give a quick shout out and thanks to Mr. Cam Griffin, friend of the show, for coming up with our new sign off. So thank you so, so much, Cam. Oh, we really appreciate your guys' input and we really appreciate the input of everybody who went to Discord to leave their thoughts. So thank you guys so much for all of the suggestions. Great work, Cam. Uh, you guys are the best. Um, so yeah, I, that just about does it for this week. So guys, this has been Ruby Redux, and it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>